0: Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve.
1: I'm Erica. And I'm Sarah.
2: So friends, we are starting a brand new series. And this in this new series, we're calling it kind of the Mandela effect of scripture. And for those unfamiliar with what the Mandela effect is, it's when you think something is there, but it's really not. And it's often been associated with logos and different memories from our childhood where we could swear that it looked like this, or it was this, and then we find out later that that wasn't true. And so we're gonna be looking at characters and things in scripture that we swear are actually there. But once you look at scripture a little bit more closely, you realize not so much. So where are we taking this first episode, Sarah?
1: So today we are starting with the innkeeper from the nativity story. So this is in Luke chapter two, And Mary and Joseph have arrived in the city of Bethlehem to register during the Roman um, census. And they're looking for a place to stay, especially because Mary is about to give birth to Jesus any minute now. And the innkeeper turns them away because there's (laughs) no room for them in the inn. And so then they have to go to a stable and give birth. Um, But in actuality, there is no such person as the innkeeper in Luke 2.
0: Now, we should stop for a moment. We'll get there and explain how it is that we've ended up with people who would swear there was an innkeeper in the story, and um, how it turns out there's not really an innkeeper. But let's make sure we're clear on the claim here. Even though many people grew up hearing uh, in Christmas pageant lore or enacting in a Christmas play themselves, or seeing in a children's book, that there's an innkeeper in the story, and like you describe him, Sarah, it's often, this is a grinchy old character who just won't make room for this poor young family. Like, he's often characterized as this, um, uh, you know, grinchy sort of felt, almost like a precursor to Ebenezer Scrooge. Why won't he make room? Why won't he at least find a place for them and... So that's what we're saying is that character who many of us would swear was there or have been told stories where the innkeeper is there, that character isn't in the Bible. That's what we're saying. Is that correct?
1: Correct. And I definitely blame children pageants for this, for myself as to why I think that this character exists. Because when I picture this in my brain, I'm not picturing an actual like grown-up person in first century Judea. I am picturing an eight-year-old wearing some sort of like bathrobe thing with a fake beard and being very grumpy like i'm picturing a kid on a stage then <laughs> that's his one line of saying there's no room in the end mm-hmm. um so i know that that's where in my head where i think that this is an actual character is because of children's pageants
0: yeah and we should probably add as well if we're going to start passing blame around before we get to why are we making this outlandish claim on this podcast um in addition to children's christmas plays other theologians and preachers have latched onto the image of an innkeeper to make a preaching point that again isn't actually there in the text so you probably have heard that line i've heard attributed Mm -hmm. to neil maxwell each of us is an innkeeper who decides (laughs) if there is room for jesus um And again, I could understand if you were a preacher who was so inclined, how do I make the Nativity story relevant? I know I've got this negative character, the villain of the story, the innkeeper. You don't want to be like that person. You want to invite Jesus into your heart and therefore don't be like the innkeeper. Um, We'll probably have to explore by the time this episode is done how our theology changes if it turns out there was never an innkeeper in the first place. And that it's not really a question of will we make room for Jesus or not? If anything, I'll just lay some cards on the table. I think the nativity story is about God comes crashing through whether or not we would made separate room for God or not. God is not interested in being stopped by our mm-hmm. Um, but that's a separate conversation. But so, yeah, that character that we may have heard preached about, we may have read children's books about or enacted ourselves in a Christmas play isn't actually there in Luke 2. Maybe this is the time to pull out one more rug from underneath us. Part of why we're confident there is no innkeeper is because, gasp, there isn't actually, as Luke tells it, an inn, is there?
1: So this is, again, this is so tricky because if you're looking at an English translation of the Bible, there are English translations that does use the word inn.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. So like
1: it's and then there are other translations that uses rooms like guest room, um, Mm -hmm. that there is no place in the guest room. And so, again, this is this is such a tricky thing because translators, editors have made choices Mm -hmm. about what they think a Greek word means and then how they choose to translate that word is going to give this verse a very different feel, right? Because in has one very clear image in our head. We think of, you know, a hotel, whereas guest room has a completely different meaning to us because then that's more of like, oh, yes, I'm going to Aunt Linda's house and she has a guest room with a guest bed and I can stay there. Right. Versus, so th- oh no, my cousin is already staying in my Aunt Linda's guest room and therefore there's no more room for me because there's already another family in that guest room and I just will not fit.
0: So maybe this is a moment for us to do a little bit of a deeper dive into what's actually going on in the Greek of the nativity story in Luke chapter two. So if you are not interested in hearing the inside baseball of the what Luke is actually saying. <laughs> skip ahead a few minutes but a couple of things to be clear on number one it's not that hotels or inns don't exist in the first century but there's a different word for it we all know another story jesus tells where there is an inn right jesus tells the story uh we call it the good samaritan where the guy uh gets beaten up and eventually a helpful person a stranger a foreigner picks him up Puts him on his own animal and takes him to an inn, and that word is not the one that uh, Luke uses in the nativity story. The word for inn is a which literally means something like "we'll take everybody in." In other words, it's it's a word. It's a, the word for hotel is a place that takes everybody. <laughs> um, and the word that is used in the nativity story is actually the word you use for a spare room or like the the yeah wherever you got extra space. Remembering people in first century peasant life in the Middle East don't have the, you know, two-story homes with uh, separate bedrooms exactly like we picture. You might have one room that is your living room, dining room, kitchen, and maybe, if you're lucky, a separate other room, a place to keep your animals underground in a sort of a cave-like entrance, more like a garage, and maybe you probably use your roof as a spare sunroom when the weather is good as well. But we're not talking houses that have multiple bedrooms bathrooms and separate chambers most people live in smaller kind of homes um and so the idea is the way luke tells it everybody's going back to their hometown right so if jesus family joseph and mary are going back to where their hometown is you'd presume all the rest of their relatives are also coming back town. so it makes sense that if they're staying with family there would be a rush on where are the guest rooms and sorry, somebody else got the, you know, whatever rooms are available. We don't have a private space to give you the best we can give you for delivering a baby. You want some privacy. So we'll put you in the space that's the best we can offer you. The only quiet room would be where the animals are for the night. So it's not, it's not pitiable. It's the family's doing the best they can to offer. We're someplace where dear old cousin Mary can at least have a little bit of privacy and dignity while she's giving birth to a human being. So this, the way we picture the story has maybe been sentimentalized. Once you get the word in in there, you picture it as everybody is turning them away and they can't find a place to stay. And so finally they find an empty barn, whereas it's much more like they come to see family, to stay with family because everybody's going to their hometown. And the family who takes them in Their own relative says, well, we got a bunch of other families staying. We don't live in a mansion where I can offer you a private bedroom. We haven't invented hospitals or maternity wards yet. So how about we give you the best we can. We'll clear out a room where the animals are for the night, and you can have that for tonight, and nobody else will bother you while you're birthing a human being. That does kind of change our mental picture of this story, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it does, because... I think especially with the idea of if her choices were between the place where the animals are kept versus the room where everyone else is, really, the manger is the better place. Yeah. Right? Like, there would probably be enough room for the women of the family to assist. There might have even been easier access to water and Mm -hmm. to other, like, ways to clean, like, There's probably already straw on the floor to put underneath of her for easier cleanup afterwards. Like, it makes more sense, I think. And especially in a culture that prizes hospitality, this is the hospitable thing to do.
0: Exactly. And by inventing an innkeeper who won't give them room, we've made this person into, at least in first century eyes, A terrible supervillain, right, in a culture priding itself on hospitality, and you see a poor young couple, and she's about to give birth, and you turn them away, and often it's in the the storytelling we do in Christmas plays or things, we make him to be greedy, and they don't have enough money, he turns them away, or he just can't find any room for them, Whereas, like, come on, these are all people doing their best with a really, really uncomfortable situation. And it almost seems like we human beings want to turn Bible stories into morality plays about you should be good or don't be like this bad person. Mm-hmm. That's not how the story works. So
1: my favorite December 23rd tradition is my family and I watched the nativity story with Oscar Isaacs as Joseph. Yeah. And um, this part of this movie is so ridiculous. Like there are some parts that I'm like, yes, they get it. And then there are other parts that's like, oh, my gosh, so ridiculous. So um, she's Mary is riding the donkey as they come into town. And all of a sudden she clutches her stomach and she's all like, it's time. The baby's coming. And so Oscar Isaac as Joseph takes her off of the donkey and starts running to door to door. No one, by the way, (laughs) is outside. And he's knocking on all of the doors uh, while still holding Mary, who is very much, like, instant going into hard labor. Like, there was no in-between times. She's just, like, she's there. And he's all, like, is there room? Please, is there room for my wife? And people keep, like, yelling no through the door. Some of them open, but then immediately shut the door. And all the while, Carol of the Bells is playing. <laughs> but, yeah, it turns it into this, like, Wow, what a town of really inhospitable, mean people who won't give this poor, super young woman a place to give birth.
0: I am so glad you mentioned that because it, it almost feels to me like we in the 21st century, probably 20th century too, have a way of retelling or seeing the Christmas story, the nativity story. Through the lens of charles dickens you know that like there's that sort of like victorian (laughs) era romantic era like that every story's got to have a miserly villain and uh, a lesson about being generous and some poor orphans or street urchins or something like that and we end up sort of turning the nativity story into that because we're used to hearing all those kinds of stories in this season Um, and about the importance of looking out for your fellow human being and don't be a Scrooge or a Grinch. I mean, we do lots of that in that season of the year when we hear this story, that it colors our hearing even to the point of affecting our translations and the way we characterize the made-up characters that flow from bad translations.
1: So with the realization that there is no inn and there's no innkeeper to turn them away, does that majorly change how you view the nativity story?
0: So I'll say yes and no. Maybe that's because I'm a Lutheran and that's what we do is like contradictory, paradoxical <laughs> things. And I'll say for the no first, it's like the real point of the nativity story as Christianity has classically held on to it is that this is about the incarnation of God in a human life. And so it's not about, poor Jesus, nobody will take him in, so much as it is, this is about, as John's gospel will tell it, the word became flesh and lived among us. So Mm -hmm. it's about incarnation and God sharing our humanity. And in some sense, that means this becomes all the richer when it's like, Jesus is born right in the midst of human life, in a house that's bustling full of people, and with family that was doing their absolute best to welcome them and give them a little bit of space, but right in in the thick of human life and community. Um, rather than often some quaint little separate space. And I guess the other thing it does for me that that does change the emphasis for me is it reminds me that the story of the gospel, including the literal moments uh, of Jesus' lifetime, are not first and foremost morality plays or fables about our behavior, but about God's grace to us. And we have this way, it seems, of wanting to turn stories into Find the hero that you should be like, the moral example, and find the villain you shouldn't be like. Like the old, did you ever read Highlights Magazine as a kid where there's Goofus and Gallant? And there'd be this like, oh, be like Gallant. He helped set the table. Goofus sits up, you know, on the couch and, you know, doesn't help. And we have a way of wanting to do that with Bible stories when the more and more I read the scriptures, the more and more it's like, no, that's not the point. It's about even when we are stinkers, even when we don't do what we're supposed to. God refuses to let our refusal be the last word. So God comes whether or not anybody made special room, whether or not there was or was not an inn because that's not, it's about God's coming among us, not human beings didn't make room.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know, how do each of you make sense of the story? What what difference does it make to you?
2: It doesn't make a huge difference for me. And, and maybe I've just been, I've spent too many years in, in the ministry. And so like, I I don't remember what my mindset was when I used to think, oh yeah, there's an inn and an innkeeper and okay. and all that kind of stuff, um, you know. Because for me, for the longest time, it's been about Jesus coming amongst the least of these. You know, it's it's more the palace versus the poor than it yeah. is, you know, the stable versus yeah. an inn. Yeah, um, and and so, but. I, the thing that does make a difference to me, and Sarah, you kind of mentioned this earlier about like the women being there. So often, mm-hmm. when, when we picture that scene, it's Joseph and Mary and the baby and the animals. And that's <laughs> right. it. And so right. the shepherds come, and then, you know, the wise men, and that's a whole nother thing. They don't come for a couple of years, but, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but the idea that, that there, there's family around there, where again, if it, we're in an inn, a true inn, It would be just, you know, Mary and Joseph. Right. But, you know, they're surrounded by family. Like, Jesus is welcomed into a family that's much Mm -hmm. more than just his mother and earthly father. Right, right, right.
1: Yeah, I I think I'm I'm right there with you, Erica, because especially these last couple of years, I've really taken a hard look at Mary as a person and what she might have been feeling and thinking Mm -hmm. and Um, you know, it's this isn't exactly her family. This is Joseph's family. So that has a slightly different feel possibly to it. But even then, right, she had loving people surrounding her other women to who had been through birth before Mm -hmm. to coach her through it and to say you're doing great. Um, Joseph might not even have been in there, right? Like, historically, men are not in the birthing room um so he was probably actually in the main room with a whole bunch of other men Mm -hmm. doing whatever they do when women give birth um but like for me that gives me such a moment of comfort yeah that god has asked her to do this thing but she's not in it alone Mm -hmm. she is still surrounded by community by family by love and nurture Mm -hmm. And she's not in it alone. Um, But that being said, all of that, while it doesn't give me comfort, Mary is not the main player in the nativity story. She is an important piece. Yes. But it's not about Mary. It's about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And whether Jesus was born, you know, in an inn, in a guest room, or in the place where they keep the animals, Jesus is still born for us.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I I appreciate what you said a minute ago, Erica. You mentioned that there's still this contrast in the nativity story between the brokers of power and Jesus as the one who identifies with the nobodies, the anybodys, the least of these, and that's still clearly there in Spade's mm-hmm. in the story, right? That for for whatever quibbling we might have with previous translators about the whether it's an inn or a guest room or something like that. Luke is super duper clear to set up the contrast that this is the way of Caesar versus the way of God, whose kingdom or whose reign happens among the anybody's right. So there's that whole introduction yeah. in the year of Caesar Augustus, when you know, Quinius was governor of Syria and there's a long list of here are the powerful people. And meanwhile, those are the people who think they run the world and call the shots in this backwater of the empire that nobody thinks matters in this tiny town this is where God changes the world. Um, it reminds me, there's this beautiful line of uh, Frederick Beekner's in one of his books, he does sort of short little descriptions of people in the Bible, and his definition or his, like, encyclopedia article about Caesar Augustus ends by saying, the only reason anybody remembers his name now is that during the time he was on the throne... Two rubes you could have sold the Brooklyn Bridge to gave birth to a baby in some imperial backwater. That like the only reason anybody now remembers Caesar Augustus is, oh, yeah, he's the guy who was emperor when the actual world changing Messiah was born. It's a beautiful reversal of the Mm -hmm. powerful and the lowly. And that's definitely there in this story whether it was an inn like our Christmas plays taught us or whether it was actually a guest room or something like that, that there's no place for them or something like that. But that that's definitely still there in the story, no matter what. And in Matthew's gospel,
2: it's also very, very clearly there as well, because when, when the magi come, where do they go first?
0: Right. But the the Herod
2: Herod in the palace, you know, and then they find out later that like, Oh no, he's in some backwater town in a house somewhere. Um, And so that's for me, I guess, again, especially since I've been in ministry, maybe, you know, I might have had a different view 20 years ago before I ever thought about going into ministry. But like, that's what really sticks out to me is that the lowliness of his birth, mm-hmm. where it happened, who it happened among.
0: Yeah. I guess the other thing that this re- refocusing on the storytelling does for me is it helps avoid turning Jesus relatives and family into secondary villains too because later on when jesus mm-hmm. is an adult there are those times where there's clearly a little bit of tension you know the uh, jesus teaching and somebody goes hey jesus your mom, brothers and sisters are out here and jesus you know who are my real mother and brothers and sisters whoever does the will of god and there's times where they want to commit him for being crazy and saying things that sound outlandish to him and instead of making that like oh they just don't understand those are terrible people those relatives of his Um, no, maybe he just had a complicated relationship that they were a part of his life and his family, you know, whether it's aunts and uncles and grandparents when he's born or, uh, siblings, uh, when he's an adult in ministry, that it's not that they're villains so much as everybody wrestled with how to make sense of this guy who we knew and grew up with. And he also Mm -hmm. says things like, I'm bringing the reign of God to earth, (laughs) you know, like, but like, I, I think it's helpful to flesh out that all these people as as the gospels present them are are real human beings and nobody's a cardboard cut out villain maybe harry maybe caesar augustus but like there really aren't villains in terms of those other people around jesus and it's easy to make them into villains when Mm -hmm. especially if we are predisposed to find somebody to hate in the story so we can find somebody to be our positive example um when maybe the stories don't work like that I think we also tend to do this with Jesus' uh, parables, too, while we're at it. Sometimes we turn Jesus' stories into, somebody has to be a villain in this story, somebody has to be the hero that I'm supposed to be like, when a lot more of the time it's, this is what God is like, and so it's more like, get Mm -hmm. used to the fact that God is more gracious than you expect. Get used to the fact that God's ways are not ours, not, if you're good enough like so-and-so a character, then there'll be prizes for you. If you're bad like so-and-so a character, there'll be punishment, but that it's more about this is about the character of God, not about do these five things so that God will like you. Now, can I ask a pastoral question? Blessedly, you are both a couple of pastors who probably have had to wrestle with this from time to time. Here we are, both, all, all three of us, confident in this is a translational issue, this is a, a matter of if you're really good with the, the original text, it's clear that we're not talking about an inn. There's definitely no mention of an innkeeper. And yet we live in congregations that are still going to keep looking for Christmas plays, probably still have some children's books on their library shelves that include an innkeeper character. Um, how do you navigate? Like, how do we talk about this in a way that doesn't feel like I'm the pastor. I'm here to mess with everything you thought was sacred. Uh, how, do you, how do you have these conversations with people in a way that doesn't obliterate, obliterate people's faith or harm them or become a stumbling block to use the, the biblical language?
1: Oh, this is such a tricky thing because children's pa- pageants, I really like to get like, you know, it's depending on how many kids you have. I want to try to make sure everybody who wants a role has a role, whether it's a big role or a small role or whatever. Um, and so, you know, I'd much rather there be an innkeeper, for example, than there being something completely made up like um if you remember the the, there's a moment in love actually when a child comes home and tells her mother emma thompson that she has a role in the nativity play and she's a lobster (laughs) like you know i'd much rather have an innkeeper than a lobster Mm
0: -hmm. right and i guess at the very very practical nothing bolt level this this would be a place to mention there are multiple groups in the nativity story as luke tells it where there can be a lot or a little as far as the number you can get a bunch of shepherds who knows how many shepherds you can get a bunch of angels in the heavenly host that could, if that's the problem it's we need to cast everybody you can solve it in that way or Mm -hmm. you could also dare to tell a story where there's mary or joseph's family members who are surrounding them and now you get Someone gets to be there. So, okay, casting-wise, you could solve it that way.
1: Yeah, it's it's also, do I have the time and energy and bandwidth to create my own nativity play? Because, like, I've done mm-hmm. that before, but that's not every year I have time to do that, to say, hey, yeah, here's the nativity play, and this is a lot more accurate than this prepackaged thing that we can buy that I don't have to extend several weeks writing a play.
2: Mm-hmm
0: maybe outside of the situation of a christmas play um how do you handle how have you handled even like in bible study moments or in talking with people about the nativity so are there even there have been places where you've said by the way we should revisit what's actually going on in the story and does it matter to you when that is like is it is it easier like here we are having this conversation in summertime where nobody's getting out their Christmas tree and feeling sentimental yet. Maybe it's easier to have this conversation in the summer and you're like, you know what? Nobody's, nobody's getting all nostalgic about hanging up their stocking right now while we're on the subject. Jesus was probably born in the warm part of the year anyway, <laughs> if there's shepherds out in their field. But like, <laughs> um, like is, is it, does the, the timing or the setting make a difference? Do you have this conversation on Christmas Eve in your sermon, or is this too much inside baseball? Like, how, how do you, how do you do that?
2: I feel like there there's at least one Christmas where I did bring it up like Christmas Eve. I don't remember exactly how I did it. But there's a curriculum I've used in my previous two appointments, um, that's like an introduction to the Old Testament and just kind of runs you through the major covenants the Old Testament and like the the about all of the family, you know, and in one of the first chapters we talk about like the family home mm. and what it would look like, you know, in that Manger type stable type area for the animals and all that, and um Dr. Richter, who wrote the study, you know she she talks about like, hey, when it comes to the nativity, this is what we're talking about like this is this is a house, this is where Jesus would have been born into, and so it's that's been nice to be able to kind of cover it there, um it's never around Christmas time, you know, and it's just kinda like I'm just gonna throw this out there, you know. Because whether it's an inn, it's a cave, it's a stable area in a house, again, it's not, for me, it's not a huge point to the salvation story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the fact that Jesus was born to the poor, mm-hmm. you know, in poverty, not where the physical place was, right? That is important to the salvation for me. So throw it out there people do with it what they want
1: i think agreed like it's um christmas eve sermon that is not the time <laughs> to get into the weeds of a character right. who's not actually there like right. i'd mm-hmm. much rather talk about the shepherds or the angels or jesus mm-hmm. Um, but this year might be a good time to talk about it because december 24th is both Advent 4 and Christmas Eve. And, Christmas Eve. Uh-huh. and so this is a very unique year that you can have your normal Christmas Eve service in the afternoon and evening, like you typically do. But then uh-huh. you also have Sunday morning worship that morning, which is Advent 4, where I think you could deviate from the assigned readings and maybe have more of a Bible study discussion sermon thing. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. where you could talk about some of this some of these things some of these weird translation things um these weird like hey yeah this is how we've always seen it portrayed in hymns and music and um like plays and movies and but like let's actually take a look at what is actually going on in the greek and in the bible Mm -hmm.
0: yeah 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 um This might also be a a moment to talk about more broadly. And again, like this isn't just like uh, don't do this on Christmas Eve kind of thing. But like there are other points along the way in our life as God's people where translational issues end up making problems that aren't really there like part, I, I guess my biggest concern is i don't want people to spend a lot of time defending something that they thought was in the text that isn't and then get disillusioned later where they're like oh my goodness if it turned out there wasn't really an innkeeper what else the Bible lied to about but like
2: mm-hmm.
0: maybe you know that there's a, a several famous statues at least one i can think of this by michelangelo of moses um do you know this where moses has horns on his head um and it's because It's a translational issue. There's an idiom in Hebrew. I think it's like Moses has beams of light shining from his face or something like that, you know, after he sees God. And um, it's a translational issue, maybe from the Hebrew to the Latin or an issue with uh, Jerome's translation of the Vulgate. But where the idiom gets translated that when Michelangelo is picturing the story, he's grown up hearing Moses has horns. And so literal statues have Moses with horns on his head. Um, and it goes back to a translation thing, and so that meant for centuries, people who saw the statue, like, yep, this is what the Bible says, and the Bible said it, that settles it, I'm going to die on this hill of, the Bible says Moses has horns, and I saw the statue to prove it, when, wait a second, that's not actually what the story is, Um, that we sometimes do the same thing, like, with, you know, if the kids grew up with, I saw the innkeeper in my children's Bible, therefore, there's an innkeeper, like, it's every so often worthwhile doing those exploring so that people don't end up dying on a hill fighting for something that they're in the name of fighting for the Bible wasn't actually there in the first place. So again, like Christmas Eve, maybe not the moment, but rather than treating this as this, who cares, this is just a tedious detail. I think every so often it's worth going, it's worth looking at the things that we were all told before really are in the Bible because sometimes they're there and sometimes maybe not, or sometimes it's a translation thing, or sometimes it's a, What's, what first century hearers or fifth century translators heard when they read this is different from what we picture in our mind. Let's be clear about that. Um, And again, this to me gets at the importance of good, solid translation work uh for people who do Bible translating, but also for us as preachers and pastors where it's worth spending a little bit to talk about. You might be picturing this when you hear this in the story, but we need to uh, change our picture.
1: All right, so... That's the innkeeper, person beloved by many of our memories, but is not actually in the Bible. Is there anything else we want to mention about the innkeeper?
0: Maybe just as a final thought so that we don't come off as saying, if you picture an innkeeper, you're doing it wrong, you're a bad Christian. No, this is the nature of how what Erica introduced to us as the Mandela Effect does that there's times when we could get convinced we swore that something was there and it wasn't really or we remembered it one way and there's reasons for it so it's okay if our mental picture has been there's an innkeeper and it's okay to admit maybe we pictured him as an early version of the Grinch or Scrooge but now that we know that okay like Maya Angelou says when you know better you do better um but that it's going to turn out there's at least a whole podcast series worth of times that this kind of thing happens. In fact, we're going to explore that in coming weeks. So if you thought it was just an innkeeper, that was the only time that we've been doing this. Nope. Join us because in future weeks, we're going to look at other times where we've invented characters or a slightly twisted who they really are uh, in the Bible and maybe getting clear on them could be helpful for deepening our faith. So join us here next time here on crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. All right. Bye.